The title of today's message is Approval Addiction. Approval Addiction. If you'll turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to start there. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to start in verse 12. On Wednesday, we talked about a confidence sandwich. Talked out of Hebrews 10. And we looked at how the word encouraged us, caused us to be very serious, and then encouraged us again in that passage. Prior to that, last Sunday, Pastor Eric spoke on Biggest Loser. How that it is to our uh, great honor to give up something for the Lord. When we are being obedient, there is nothing that's too large for us to give up, to sacrifice unto the Lord. It is an honor. Today we want to talk on approval addiction. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and starting in verse 12, it says this, We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. (laughs) I love this next sentence. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. It's almost like there's a theme here. (laughs) When you compare yourself, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Um, As many of you may know, um, long long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, I used to be a music teacher. So I taught band um, and uh, did a lot of things. And in band, it would not be unusual for me to use this device... Right here, not my phone, but. It's a metronome. If you can all keep from, refrain from beatboxing right now. I know it's tough. So what we would do is, in the middle of a rehearsal, when things weren't going quite uh, up to snuff, what I would do is I would just turn this on. And I would literally leave it on the entire time we were practicing a certain song. I know some of you are getting annoyed. I'm not going to leave it on the entire time I'm preaching. <laughs> Just making a point here. In college, we would do the same thing, except it was uh, for the top group at LSU that I, we were in, and it was a group of professionals. Many of them in that group are now professional musicians across the country getting paid nice amount of money to play in symphonies and orchestras across the country. Uh, the director would put on something that was about 15 times louder and much more ear-splitting. Because whatever the passage was we were struggling with, we were either rushing through the passage, we were too slow in the passage because there was technical difficulties that we're having. So this would become the standard. And what it was, was it was an, it's annoying as all get out when you're not up to the standard. When you're trying to find the standard and you're struggling through, which usually meant that you didn't practice enough. In high school bands, uh, as the band director, I basically helped the students to practice. We practiced in the classroom. The higher up you go in music, the more you're supposed to go practice on your own and show up being able to do everything. When I got to that group at LSU and got invited to be part of the top group that they had, they were mainly doctoral and master's level students and a few of us undergrads that were in there. And so what we would do is we would, um, I didn't realize that on the very first rehearsal of the very first day, that everybody already knew all their music. I was like, well, well now what do you do? Oh, now you're actually going to start making music instead of learning notes. 
Now we're going to put it all together and really, really expound upon all this. But that metronome was the bane of our existence. Because the thing about a metronome is, is it doesn't change. It holds the exact beat that it's supposed to, and it just keeps it there. So you see where you're rushing or you're slowing down. But when you get um, where you really have it down, it's a beautiful thing because you actually forget. You no longer focus on the metronome because when you're right in step with it, when you're perfectly in time, it actually blends in and you no longer hear the metronome. You don't, you don't think about it because you're perfectly in time with it. That standard kind of vanishes away and you're not worried about it, although you're staying on the standard. The problem is, is when you can't keep up with the standard, you're either pushing it or pulling on it, that you think about it and it becomes the most annoying thing. I, I can't explain to you how treacherous the, the director at LSU would put it on. And... <laughs> A room full of adults would be like, we'll go home and practice. We'll go, nope. Sometimes we do an entire rehearsal with this infernal thing. What I'm trying to do today is with a spiritual way and with the word of God, that's really what we do with the word. We say, here is the standard. It's here. It's just right here. There's nothing you can do to change it. It's right here. If you're pushing or pulling, it feels annoying sometimes to say, this is the standard, this is the standard, this is the standard. But what we're trying to do is get it so where it's so... Um, we've worked at it so much that we've defined ourselves by the standard of the Word that it then just becomes part of the music. I've played in other churches and they do the same thing. And you'll have, in one ear, you'll have a click track. During a worship's time, you'll have one ear, a click track... And then the other ear, other voices or whatever. And it's the most interesting thing. Great drummers, great people can just put it right there and you, you literally forget about it. Because it's part of you. It's not something external anymore. It becomes part. This is what we're trying to do when we look at a verse like 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. And it says, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. That would be the equivalent of never having a metronome and you just tapping your foot in a music classroom. You know what the problem with tapping your foot is? If you're wrong, it's your foot. So I'm thinking I'm right, but it's me that will adjust anyway, and I'm just going to tap the foot to the wrong part. Does that make sense? We're just trying to make sure that we're not comparing ourselves by ourselves. Turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 and verse... Let's start in verse 1. Galatians 6, 1, it says, Brothers, there's still some pages turning, I'll wait till you get there. We do put the scriptures on the screen, we invite you to look there, but really we want you to become familiar with your Bible, the Bible in your hand. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, everybody say, watch yourself. yourself. Or you may also, uh, or you also may be tempted Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Um, Actually, this idea, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, that's basically what's given rise to shows, and I know it's about to go off and it's been years, but basically if you think about American Idol, isn't that the first like two or three what, what are you doing? You're watching a bunch of people. What makes good TV is when you watch all the bad people at the beginning, right? Who think they can sing, but they really can't. And I always want to know, like, where was your friends? Why do you not have any friends who would just go, say, bro, stop. 
you know, no matter how much you wiggle your finger, you do not sound like Mariah Carey. You just don't. It's, no, not going to work. Like, why don't you have friends? That's what I want to know. But in, in, that, in that a true picture, that's, if we're not careful, we don't want to be those people who thinks we're something when we're nothing. We, we want to have an accurate and sober picture of ourselves, right? Verse 4. Each one should test his own actions. Huh. You should test your own actions. Then you could take pride in yourself. Then he could take pride in himself without comparing himself to anyone else. Huh. What happens when we compare? We either feel great. If I'm going to compare myself to Buddy, I may feel terrible because I can't do what he can do. If I'm going to compare myself to my son Gabe, then maybe I feel better because I can do a few things just a tiny bit better than him, which is all changing quickly. (laughs) He will soon overtake his dad, you know, in in everything, which is exactly what you want as a parent. But but the idea is I don't compare myself. Why? Because I either get a complacent idea and it allows me to think that I'm something maybe when I'm nothing or it discourages me because I'm like, man, I can never be like Elder Steve. And I get discouraged and the truth is, is, Steve didn't discourage me. Don't, don't we want elders who can do exactly what they're supposed to do and be what exactly what the Bible says? I need him to be that. And the reason I can say that I need him to be is because I'm not trying to compare myself with him. I can enjoy what God's doing in Steve's life because I'm not in competition. I'm not comparing myself to him. It actually encourages me and shows me how to do what I'm supposed to do. Each one should test his own actions, then he could take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else. For each one should carry his own load. I just want to point out, this is not going to be the main point of today, but look at verse 2. It says, carry each other's burdens. Look at verse 5. For each one should carry his own load. If you're not careful, that almost sounds like a contradiction, right? Carry each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Two verses later, it's saying, each one should carry his own load. Well, do I help someone else carry, or do I carry my own load? Both ends, surprisingly enough. The word therefore carry each other's burdens in verse 2 is baros. It's baros. It's a, it's a heavy load that becomes crushing. Someone is about to get crushed by the burdens that are weighing them down. The other one is a load. It's an amount that's been assigned to me. We do not help someone when we take off all of their load. Helping people is not always helping people. When you're leading a group, when you're leading your family, it it might be good. What we don't want is people to get crushed under the weight of what's going on in their life. I I can't help it. I'm weak. I'm weary. Let me come help you carry your barrows. But what we don't want to do is take it off so much that we're like, oh, we've taken off the burden, the barrows, but we haven't let you carry your own Portion, P-H-O-R-T-I-O-N. Those are two different words. Actually, in the King James, they're both translated burden. Here it says burden and load. Does that make sense? We're supposed to carry our own load. There's an, there's a task that has been assigned to us. We are supposed to go forward and do what we've been assigned. But Lord, help us when it gets crushing. I need my brothers to help me to make sure I don't get crushed along the way. Amen? His burden is easy. His yoke is light. Matthew 11. Let's turn to Galatians, just back a few pages, Galatians 1. Galatians 1 and verse 10. 
says this. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? There is an approval addiction that you are allowed to have. If you are looking for the approval of man, so let me compare myself against you. Let me put myself out there so that I can win approval from you. That is not at all what we're going after. And yet there's an approval that we can find from God. And that is something that we can be addicted to. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? And listen to this next sentence. If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. What you are trying to win the approval of, who you are trying to win the approval of, becomes your master. Who I'm trying to win the approval of becomes the one that I start to serve. Have you ever seen a home that's out of order? A three-year-old who's going to throw a tantrum and it causes everyone in the family to do exactly what the three-year-old wants? I'm trying to win the approval of the three-year-old now so that they don't embarrass me in Walmart. I mean, that never happened to us as parents. But... <laughs> right? Ah! Please, just anything. Here's candy. Here's money. Whatever. Just shut up. All right? I understand. We've all been there. I mean, not me, but all of you have been there. But, <laughs> you know, whatever. But, so what happens is if you don't go ahead and handle these things according to proper shalom, according to the proper order that God has, the three-year-old literally becomes who you're trying to win the approval of. Boy, that, gets, that can get you messed up if you do that repeatedly, right? Can you see how that just leads you off? And now the most immature person in the family is the one that's actually driving all of the growth for the family. Yikes. When you have a church and you don't encourage people and actually cause them to grow and you only worry about the ones who might be displeased with what you're saying, then what you do is you start building a church around your weakest members. You allow their level, level of growth to determine everything else that is going on in your church instead of saying, hey, we love you. We would never try to intentionally offend you. And if you're not doing this the right way, then it may take us saying this is truth. And if it offends you, we love you enough to offend you so that you will grow. Amen. You can amen me or not, but that's, that's good. Amen. We've got a lot of folks in here who are going to go on and be in full-time ministry. And what I just said is very good. You see a good model of it here in this church. We're going to, even to the point where it may seem offensive at times. We're never, that's not what we're going for. Yeah. And if it offends you when we tell you the truth, maybe it's showing just as much about your heart as it is about ours. Because we don't want to let the growth of everyone be determined by the weakest link. Hmm. Yes. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If you're here today, uh, one of the you know, reason number 798 that I love my church is you have to really, you know, at least have some moniker of loving the Lord if you're going to come here repeatedly. There's not a whole lot that we do that we're trying to please men. Have, did you see the picture we showed up on the screen of a busted up toilet? We're not, we're trying to say, hey, we're family. We are family. And so we're all going to grow like family. We're going to love each other. We might get frustrated with each other. We might want to strangle each other. And... I care enough about you that I want to help you carry your burden, but I don't want to unload what you're supposed to be doing. That's actual love. 
That's actually the way that the Scripture prescribes it. Let's take a look at, let's walk through the law, the prophets, and the writings with this same idea. Let's turn to Numbers chapter 13. And if you're newer here, uh, this is part, when we say law, prophet, and writings, these are segments of the Old Testament. What we're really trying to say is the entire Bible speaks to this same point. The entire Bible shows us the same unified principle from the book of Genesis through the book of Revelation. Galatians chapter, I mean, I'm sorry, Numbers chapter 13, and let's start in verse 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What is this? This is the time where it's recapping the story of them sending 12 spies into the promised land. They've come out of Egypt. They, are, they have wandered in the desert. They are sending spies in. They're getting close to transitioning into a new season. So they said, let's pick one person from each tribe and let's send them in as our spy team. Do, 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 do. Right? They're going in to see what the land is like. Let's look in verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. I just said that like a nice South Louisiana word, didn't I? Mom, Paran. Sorry, that's, that's like, I think I just said it that way. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does indeed flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. We're giving you a rundown on the land here. Verse 30, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses. I love Caleb. Goodness gracious. We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. You need people like Caleb in your life. Who go, we can do this. Are you kidding me? Going to start a new company? Great. You can do this. You got a bad report this week? Doesn't matter because God is with you. We can do this. You can do this. You can do exactly what God says you can do. You can go and be. You can do it. We can do it. You need a Caleb kind of spirit in there. Look at verse 31. But. Right, row. Conjunctive word. Joining two statements. The first being true and the second being more true. Hey, hey, I really like you guys, but... Really, what's the important part of that sentence? What you're going to say after the word but? This is what I want you to take home is this. So Caleb says, we can do this for the Lord is with us. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. Uh, Actually, I don't think Caleb mentioned anything about who was stronger. He just said, God's with us. doesn't matter how strong they are if God is with us. And listen to verse 32. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Oh, wait a minute. They compared themselves 
with themselves and found themselves wanting. Verse 32, And they spread among the Israelites a bad report. I mean, we don't do any of those kind of stuff nowadays, do we? We don't take out full-page ads and run endless commercials to say, let's, let's, run, bad, let's run bad reports about things. Uh, let's, let's be, I guess I should be a little bit more modern. We don't look on our social feeds and see how many stories there are. President Obama does this. Such and such senator does this. Person decimates the president with their questions. I mean, is, is that not exactly Facebook yeah. and and others? Aren't, aren't really? Aren't we all? Are they trying to do? Say, let us spread a bad report. Whatever it is, whatever side of any subject you want to fall on, you're going to find somebody who wants to spread a bad report. Huh? The problem here with the ten spies versus the two spies that thought that they could go in, Joshua and Caleb. The other ten said, we're going to compare ourselves, we're going to compare this situation with ourselves, and therefore we're not going to enter in even though God has been with us this entire time. 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 25. Context of this entire thing, just as a reminder, is approval addiction. You had men who spread a bad report because they wanted to then influence the decision of the nation. Their fear, they wanted to cause everything to drive based on their fear. 1 Kings chapter 12 verse 25 says this, Then Jeroboam fortified Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. From there he went out and built up Peniel. Jeroboam thought to himself, The kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. He is comparing his kingdom and trying to decide what his kingdom may be in the near future. If the people go up to serve, uh, go up to worship the Lord at the city of David, because that's not in my kingdom, if they go worship something that's real and true, maybe I'll lose some of my luster. Maybe my kingdom will be lessened. The things that I want, when I compare myself to the fear of what it could be, then I've got a problem here, so this is what I'll do. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. It's amazing when you start comparing yourself... Any story you want to tell yourself becomes true. Well, I know what's going to happen. Do, do you really? Well, well, this is going to happen and then this. Have you ever spent a lot of time worrying about all the things that could happen and could go wrong? As a matter of fact, that's probably all that I spend my time. When I'm worrying, that's probably all it is. If I don't do this, then this won't happen and I'll lose my job. And, and all you're doing is just sitting. None of it's true. But when we compare ourselves with ourselves and judge ourselves by ourselves, then it seems just as valid as anything else. The false things that are being said in our own mind, the things that are being said in our own heart, feel like they're truth even if they're a bold-faced lie. Why? Because I'm just... I get in my head. Have you ever heard it said that way? By the way, this is why God demands that we don't give up the assembling of ourselves together. 
This is why we are designed to live in community and in covenant with other people. You know why? Because if you get off by yourself, you can get weird. Why? Because you have nothing outside of your own thoughts. And I don't, I'm not trying to be angry. I'm trying to, it's actually my heart is broken by saying that. You can get so off track and nobody can help you and go, Say, man, what are you doing? Uh, I was... Man, stop that. Oh, yeah, you're right. Oh, I don't know what I was thinking. It's because you got caught up in your own thoughts. You started judging your own thoughts by your own thoughts. Wow. Why does our church go so hard against what does the Word say? What are you doing? What are you going to do to make those things align? But you're not compassionate enough. You didn't hear my whole sad story. No. Because I'm not smart enough and I may go, oh, poor baby. Instead of going, here's what the Word says. Here's what you're doing. Let's just work to get that aligned. Because that will bring life. We're not going to compare ourselves with ourselves. Verse 28. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. Awesome! Great idea! I know what I'll do since this worked out so well when we were leaving Egypt with one golden calf. I've got a great idea. I'm making two. He said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Oh, wait a minute. It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Is that really what he's worried about, them going up to Jerusalem and it being too far? He's worried about himself. But what he's saying is, Look, I'm just here to take off your burden from you. I'm just here to help you carry your load. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Uh, what? You mean the golden calves that you just made? One he set up in Bethel. Had God visited the people at Bethel before? Yes. Yes. Had, had God come and actually done something significant at Bethel? Yes. So let me go back to a place where you kind of know and think and can associate with something godly. But the truth is, is this is not godly at all. And the other in Dan, verse 30. And this thing became a sin. Everybody say it became a sin. The people went even as far as Dan to worship the one there. Problem wasn't people traveling. They would travel anyway. Hey, look, you know, I've heard it, not for the people here. Hey, look, you know, we just, we get so busy, sometimes we need to take, we need to take a Sunday off. We need to rest. Rest by doing what? So you can go travel and do something else? The church that I previously served at in the Austin area, it was typical for folks to show up one out of every three or four services. One out of every three or four Sundays. The vast majority of people, I was over kids and youth, so in our department we checked in every single kid. 700 elementary kids and younger every week. I looked at reports. I knew that the kids, when I would run a report to see who was here all month, out of 700, it was more like 100 that were there every Sunday. And the rest would just rotate through. It's not, it's not that the people wouldn't go do something. It's not like 
going to church for a little while and then going home was a difficult task, what they started thinking and comparing their own thoughts with was, well, we need rest. I mean, we're busy all week. I mean, we work full time. I mean, we've got to have some time with our kids, so let's go play ball. Let's go whatever. These people went to worship in Dan. They still went to worship. They were just going to the wrong place. And we'll see what else they do. Verse 31, Jeroboam built shrines on high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people. Everybody say all sorts. All sorts. Who were the priests supposed to be? Levites. You look like you're pretty good. Let's just, yeah, you're a priest now. Hmm. Even though they were not Levites. Verse 32, he instituted a festival on the 15th day of the 8th month. I'm just going to pick a random time. Because you know what? In the seventh month, which became the first month, on the 14th day is the beginning of Passover. So you know what I'll do? I'll just pick a different month and a different day because it sounds pretty good. Well, if the Lord appointed a day and a time, well, I'm going to appoint a day and a time. Oh. So we're at the wrong place. We're at the wrong time. With the wrong people. Doing the wrong thing. This he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he had made. At Bethel, he also installed priests at the high place he had made. On the 15th day of the eighth month, a month of his own choosing, lest you think I just made that part up, he offered sacrifices on the altar he had built at Bethel. We run into serious problems when we offer sacrifices on the altars that we build and we try to offer it to the Lord. We've constructed it of our own. We've thought about it on our own. And we've decided that this is an appropriate sacrifice to make to the Lord. So we will now sacrifice on a day of our choosing. We need to be very careful that we're not so finding approval addiction. We're not so seeking after approval of man. And maybe we're seeking after our own approval. That we just decide to do it our own way. Turn. um, I'll just reference this. In 2 Samuel 15 you find another example of this, Absalom. He's sitting there at the very gates of the city saying, hey, do you want to go see King David? Well, I mean, we're brothers, so why don't you tell me your problem? Oh, yeah, you're right, Randy. You're right. That bull. You know, if I was king, I would totally take care of you. You have a valid point. And he would go around doing this actually for years until he won the hearts of the people. It's easy to look at... Let's, let's, let's talk politics just for a second. It's easy to look at politics and really say that what are people doing? We're ultimately after just... The idea of our national leadership was to be people who served in their own area of life and then outside of that, the doctors, the lawyers, the farmers, who would then go and serve the country as an act of service. When we make an entire group of people who does this as their livelihood... What happens? You shift from the easy way to shift is from doing what is right to doing what is expedient and what helps themselves build their own kingdom. It's easy to look at a, at a, at a political structure. I don't care what side of the aisle you fall on. I don't care. Because the truth is, is any system that's made up by man, <laughs> my hope is not in the Republican Party. My hope is not in the Democratic Party. My hope is not in the Tea Party or some other. I'm actually part of a different kingdom. I'm not looking for a, I'm looking for a city whose builder and architect is actually God Himself. All I want to do is align myself 
And I can be passionate about what I read. I can be passionate about what's going on in our country. I'm not saying that we should disengage. What I'm saying is we should engage in the kingdom that's going to last. We should understand that there are different ways. If we look and model ourselves, what I love about my church is that we really do, weaknesses and all, we really try to model everything we do after Scripture. Everything. Why are you doing it that way? We're not saying any other way is terrible, necessarily. What we're saying is we see this in the Word and that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to go after. Turn to Esther, chapter 2. Esther. So we've already seen a law. We've seen a prophet. Now let's see from the writings. And we remember that the writings are supposed to give us how to live in the context of the world in which we are placed. Esther, chapter 2. Let's start in verse 8. Esther chapter 2, verse 8. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many girls were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggaiah. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggaiah, who had charge of the harem. The girl pleased him and won his favor. Immediately he provided her with beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven maids selected from the king's palace and moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. Take a look at verse 15. When the turn came for Esther, the girl Mordecai had adopted, the daughter of his uncle, Abihail, to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. Um, Esther, we know this story, right? She's basically in a beauty pageant more than just a pageant, and this winner got announced correctly, right? So, sorry. She's there, and she finds favor, what? Not by doing what she sees fit, not by trying to compare herself with herself, but she just says, I'm going to so entrust my life that I may get the king's favor, that, the, that I may get my God's favor, that it brought about the king's favor upon her. There she was favored. Even, even the servants who were around her saw her and were given favor. Gave her favor, rather. Turn back to Galatians chapter 1. Whether it's the law, the prophet, or the writing, we see how God is at work. <laughs> Either through cautionary tales for us to be careful or to encourage us how to do this the right way. Galatians 1, 10, just as a reminder. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? What a great question, by the way, right? If you don't take anything else from today, Galatians 1.10 should be a question that you ask yourself. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Does my life prove... What does my life prove about my own intentions? Have you ever name-dropped before? Have you, have you ever um, name-dropping, you know, hey, so let me tell you who I know. Let me tell you what I've done. Let me expound upon, you know, some of the cool things that I've done before. Every time you're doing that, you're actually showing your own insecurities. You're actually showing how much you're actually there to win the approval of man. You know what's amazing is we'll go across the world, we'll go on some mission trip, and you might find a man there who has... Goodness gracious, 
oversees 500 churches. And you'll talk to that man and he'll just, so tell me, what's the Lord doing in your life, buddy? And he'll just listen and never actually say what he's been doing. It's like, oh my goodness, until you actually get the glimpse and go, I should just shut up and just listen to you. I was um, at a certain uh, Christian university up in the Dallas area, and we were sitting at a table at lunch. Uh, it was a master's uh, series of classes, and one of the gentlemen came in the cafeteria, and the pastor that I was with made everyone at the table. He's like, all right, whoosh, and explained that this man who had been on the mission field for about 40 years was happened to be there. He said, you're all going to be quiet, <laughs> and you're going to listen to him. I'm like, hey man, I like that. The gentleman just came over and, hey, could you share with us some wisdom? Could you, could you just share anything you want to talk on? Because I'm sure what you got is going to be good. And it was one of the most blessing. I mean, he just spoke for five minutes. We're all at a, at a cafeteria table in a college, college setting. Just humble. Not trying to impress us. He wouldn't have even said anything, but we drug him over and made him talk to us for a little while. Right? Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Wow. Let's refine what we're after. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. So how do we do this? If we're not judging ourselves by ourselves, then what are we supposed to be doing? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 14. It says this. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Verse 16. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Can you say that about your life? Hey, I urge you. We've got this connection. I urge you to do what I do. Wow. Again, that's not because we've judged ourselves against ourselves, but like a metronome that's just going along, we realize, hey, as I get closer and as I can follow this standard where it's become part of my musicianship, or I can follow this standard in the Word and it's just part of who I am, I encourage you, come. Come imitate me while I'm doing what I'm doing. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Just turn over just a few pages. 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 1. Actually, let's back up to the previous, to the end of chapter 10 in verse 31. It kind of all runs together here. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Say, do it all. Do Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone, everybody in every way. Is he saying that he's being a man pleaser? No. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Chapter 11, verse 1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He is mindful of other people. He doesn't want them to get crushed under the burden, the baros, but he wants to help them and understand that they're supposed to carry their own load. But he's saying, hey, follow me. 
follow me. I, know, I actually know the way. I'm a little bit further along the road than you. Why don't you, why don't you follow me? Turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. We're supposed to imitate. Hebrews 6 and verse 12. says this, We do not want you to become lazy. If I say, don't be lazy. Do you understand it's possible to be a hard worker and be lazy in certain areas in your life? Yeah. If we're not judging ourselves by ourselves, then we can realize, you know what, in this area I do really, really well. Man, I go after it here. I, I am faithful in this area. And the truth is, in some areas I can be very lazy. Yeah. I, I could just, eh, I'll get to it later. Yeah. Look, I mean, because I'm busy, right? I mean, I'm so busy. I don't have time for this over here. Oh, maybe I should evaluate my life a little bit better and realize, yes, I'm busy over here and I'm just being lazy over here. I'm intentionally not addressing the things that I know that need to be addressed, so I'm being lazy. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. The problem is you've got to imitate the right people. <laughs> you're going to imitate the ones who are going to be inheriting what God has done. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's, let's think through, let's read through Hebrews 11 and see the model that's been set for us. Right? Who did all these different things. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13, 7. So Paul says to imitate me as I follow Christ. Hebrews 6.12 says that we are to imitate those who are going to be and receive the inheritance. Hebrews 13.7 says this, Remember your leaders. Everybody say, remember your leaders. Who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Part of the problem with a lot of the church structure in our country is what? You don't actually get to see the leaders who are speaking to you the word of life. You may not know. I was on staff at a large church. I was on staff. And my interaction with the main pastor was very limited. <laughs> I was on staff. I'd have to make appointments, and sometimes I couldn't get an appointment for like a week or two. Hey, I just need to... He never kept it. If we were in the hallway and we'd stop and talk, it was great. Man, it was wonderful. But just because of the machinery of what was going on. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Can I encourage you? Um, that is a scary thing when you're calling yourself a pastor. <laughs> Please examine my family. Please see us in every setting and imitate our faith. <laughs> And it's exactly what I'm supposed to be telling you. I'm telling you and I'm encouraging you to look at the Stevens family. I encourage you. They open up their home. I encourage you to look at the Piro family. They open up their home. I encourage you to look at the Sutherlands. We open up our home. We're just not going to... If you come over, the answer is yes. 
we open up our lives to you because we want this to be the case. And we are, none of us are saying, hey, we got all this figured out, and we're somehow supposed to say, you're supposed to imitate what we do. We're supposed to imitate each other. I'm supposed to imitate the elders. This is the way that this works is we can learn something from each other so that I'm not comparing myself to myself, thinking that I'm something when I'm nothing, but I can get this in the right order to go, I can learn so much from Pastor Matt. I do learn so much from him. I do learn so much. I learn. I learn from you guys. We're, we're trying to see and follow and make sure called triangulating a position. You can give me, give, give me three points and you can figure out wherever somebody is. You can do it anywhere in the world. What we're trying to do is we're trying to triangulate and make sure. Am I still on the standard? Matt, this look good? I'm a little nervous. I'm not quite sure. In my brain, I think it's right, but maybe I'm missing something. Nope, you're on, man. Second Timothy chapter 2. We're wrapping it up. Second Timothy chapter 2. Let's look at verse 14. 2 Timothy 2, 14. says this. Keep reminding them of these things. <laughs> um... If you've ever been a parent or a teacher, you know you got to keep reminding people of things. Hey, don't forget. Don't forget. Hey, don't forget. All right. I won't forget. <laughs> I forgot. Don't forget. Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. Whoa. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. These well-laid-out arguments. Let's argue for the sake of arguing. It's no point, man. You're just, it's just words. Why? Because verse 15 tells us, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. You know how you get approved in the kingdom? You correctly handle the word of truth. You know how you get to do that? You have righteousness in your right hand and in your left. You have weapons of righteousness in both hands. You learn how to be skilled in the things that God requires of you. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 1 says this, You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you His gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. I would imagine that the writer here has to say that because why? There are people who will come along with error, impure motives, and are trying to trick us. Error. Look, I actually thought it was right, but I'm wrong. Impure motives. I'm saying something, but really I'm trying to work you so you don't go off to worship in Jerusalem like you're supposed to. Let's, let's just make it easier on you. Or I'm trying to trick you. Verse 4. And you should mark this in your Bibles if you don't have it marked. On the contrary, listen to this. We speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. 
We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know why he has to test our heart? Because sometimes we think we're, we've got a pure heart, and he has to show us that we're not as pure as we thought we were. There's, there's, there's still some desire to be pleased of men, and I really, when I said that, it wasn't as pure as I thought. It sounded right on the outside, because I'm an adult, and I've learned how to really say things right on the outside, but the truth is, is that the purity of my heart was not what it was supposed to be. Have you ever done that with somebody? Have you ever walked up to somebody and then you didn't even realize it, but I've done this and I've walked away and went, Lord, would you forgive me? I just offered to pray with them, but the truth is is that I wanted their approval. The way that I did that was wrong. And I offered to pray with them. And I was sharing an example, but what I shared was an example that put me as a, oh, in a great position of, of wonder. Lord, I'm so sorry. I will pray for them just like I pledge, but then I have to get my heart right because I know that I want to be a man approved by God to be entrusted with His gospel. If I entrust you with my children, um, when we went to Mexico with our 52 folks that we went, I had to split up my family to get some other things worked out well. I literally had this discussion. I went, I have to... My son is with the Stevens. My daughter is with Judah and Nick. And I had this conversation with Judah and Nick. Hey, I love you guys. Y'all are men of God. You're anointed and powerful. This is my baby girl. I want you to understand I'm entrusting you. And I had full confidence or I never would have allowed it to happen. I did not worry about it, not one moment. And, say amen. Look at me. (laughs) I'm entrusting one of my most precious possessions ever. I'm responsible by God before God how she's raised. Help a brother out. (laughs) We have been entrusted with the very gospel. God entrusted his entire plan on 12 disciples. And one of them was the devil. He trusted his plan to 12 disciples. People talk to a lot, but he entrusted it to 12. What is he entrusted to you? What is God entrusting to us? He's saying, I'm entrusting my gospel to you. Eve, God is entrusting the power of his kingdom into you. I want to work. I want to prove myself as one approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Are we working for the cross? Or are we working from the cross? It's these shifts that the Word brings into our life. Am I a soldier for the cross? I'm a soldier, yeah! Or have I been so impacted by the cross that now I'm a warrior of the cross? Am I doing something for God? Or am I doing something from God? My life should be marked as being one who is received from Him and then works from there. If I do it that way, then it helps keep me out of the way. I don't begin to compare myself with myself, but I say, Lord, it is from You and Your people need it and I will humbly serve. As a matter of fact, I just try not to mess this thing up. 
and yet you've empowered me and your divine power has given me everything I need for life and godliness. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Let's turn to Matthew 3 and we're going to close here. I can close in a lot of different places, but I think I'll just close right here. Are you working from the Lord? Is it apparent in your life that you are working from the Lord? Matthew chapter 3, and let's look in verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, He went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. Everybody say, like a dove. And lighting on him. Verse 17 And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. I just wanted to call this out to your attention. This was before Jesus really started his ministry. Sometimes we forget God's pleasure with Christ was before. He started, by the way, in Matthew 17 on the Mount of Transfiguration, he says the same thing near the end of his ministry. What we have to remember is that just like God accredited Abraham righteousness because of his faith, he had faith in the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Lord, I'm going to have faith in you and you're going to credit to me, you're going to entrust to me even before I've necessarily done it. Man says, you better prove it to me. Show it to me. You better show it to me. And God says, I'm granting it to you ahead of time. I'm giving you the tools you need ahead of time. Before you really get this all figured out, what I'm saying is, you're mine. You're chosen. I've called you ahead of time. And what we do is, just like Abraham, we are credited with righteousness, and then we act in righteousness. As saying, Lord, we see that you've credited it to us and we are so honored and we want to be entrusted with that. So now we will act in keeping with what you've already done for us. I have to do exactly what God says and it's not my doing. (laughs) That's the answer. How is it both of these things? It's because he's already credited his righteousness to us. He's already saying, I will allow you to be a soldier from me. I will allow you to work from me and not just for me ahead of time. What's the difference though? Lord, I will work all of my days for you because I want your approval. I'm actually addicted to having his approval. It actually permeates my thought every day. Lord, am I doing what you want? I'm doing it. You've already credited to me. I don't have to worry and be fearful of that and yet because I love you so much, I want to handle it better. <laughs> Growing up, if my dad, and this didn't happen very much, but if my dad ever gave me a credit card, I was not the kid who was like, woohoo, I will do anything I want to do now. I was like, oh, my dad has entrusted me. I, I, better, I better make sure that everything I do on this card counts. I, I better not waste one penny because it was something so honored from him. That's how we're supposed to be with the Lord. Amen? Amen. Pastor Matt, come on up. If you guys will stand.